0: Welcome all our campuses today here at North. Let's give a shout out to Gateway South. They're joining us today. <laughs> and how about Gateway Central? You guys there? Give them a welcome. <laughs> Gateway Branson, all the way in Branson, Missouri. Woo. And those of you joining us on the internet all over the world, welcome. Woo! And here at North, we have our own Gateway Pflugerville joining us right over there, soon to be there on campus. <clears throat> well, hey, as we're joined all together today, you know, we heard that song, Waiting on the World to Change. But not everybody's waiting on the world to change. Some are taking action. Um, you know, when, when people are asked, who have been the most influential names in our century? You know, what names come to mind? What, what are the first ones that come to your mind? Kenny Green, Eric Bryant, Amy and Brian Stallings. Those are our campus pastors, by the way, if you didn't know. Now, you know, when people are asked, you know, you know what names come to mind over and over and over again? Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King. But what's interesting that you may not know is the person who had the greatest influence on all three of those people was Jesus. Jesus. And, and here, <clears throat> excuse me, here as we're coming in to this Christmas season, I want us to look at the life and teachings of, of Jesus from a different angle, from those who have brought hope to the nations by living out his teachings in our century. You know, now for us, Christmas is not the celebration of the birth of a great teacher or uh, even of a great prophet or, or even of the most influential man who's ever lived, For us, Christmas is the celebration of when God came to walk among us, when God revealed himself in a form that we could understand and love and relate to. Uh, Jesus was unique of all people in history. He claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the one promised by the prophets for thousands of years who would come and rescue humanity by living the only sinless life, by healing the sick, by teaching with authority but then also by dying on a cross, by overcoming death, and in doing that, by paying the price that God's justice demanded to forgive all of us and set us right with God for anybody who's willing to trust him. Remarkably, though, Jesus' life and teachings continue to bring heaven to earth by those who follow his example. And and today, I want to look at the life of, of Gandhi, and how he was influenced by Jesus' life and teachings. How he lived what Jesus taught in a way... Oh, thank you very much. <clears throat> yeah, I need that, don't I? <laughs> how, how Jesus lived that, I mean, how Gandhi lived that in a way that really should inspire us, wherever we lived, to follow Jesus. You know, Gandhi once professed this. Jesus, a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Another time, Gandhi said this, Jesus expressed as no other could the spirit and will of God. It's in this sense that I see him and recognize him as the son of God. And because the life of Jesus has the significance and transcendence to which I have alluded, I believe he belongs not solely to Christianity, but to the entire world. To all races and people. It matters little under what flag, name, or doctrine they may work, profess uh, a faith, or worship a God inherited from their ancestors. In other words, Jesus was given as a hope for all nations, and I agree. Now, Mahatma Gandhi, Mahatma means great soul, is today considered the father of, of modern India. His face is on every piece of currency, his birth is celebrated as a national holiday. He he brought freedom to India from oppressive British rule uh, during a time when the world was was at war, and he did so through championing nonviolent protest against injustice. Now Gandhi was born and raised in a poor Hindu family uh, in western India. He had an arranged marriage at the age of thirteen. But at 18, he left his young bride and child to move to London to study law. His uh, caste excommunicated him. His Hindu caste excommunicated him for going to London, but he went anyway. Now, Gandhi was Hindu, but while he lived in London, a Christian friend challenged him to read the New Testament and learn about Jesus, and Gandhi did just that. Now, even though Gandhi never professed to be a Christian, he believed and followed Jesus' teachings, especially that of the Sermon on the Mount, in ways that few Christians have been willing to do. And it should challenge us today to consider, will we follow Jesus in the same way? So Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount on a a hillside uh, in, in Galilee, he did it as a way that prostitutes and tax collectors, the sinners of that day could come and listen to him. Because they wouldn't go to the synagogue where the religious people condemned them. And so there, the sinners of his day sat on the hillside and listened right along with fishermen and right along with the religious Pharisees. It's actually what we're trying to do here across Austin is create space right here in our Sunday mornings where anybody can come and learn what Jesus taught about how God is for you, not against you. And so this Sermon on the Mount inspired Gandhi. In fact, Gandhi said, I could not take much interest in the Old Testament, though he read it, but the New Testament, he said, produced a different impression, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which which went straight to my heart. And interestingly, Gandhi's prayerful study of the New Testament started in London, but it went throughout his life. He often read passages from the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, which chapters 5, 6, and 7 contain the Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi actually read and meditated on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every day. Think about that, every day, right along with the Bhagavad Gita, but every day. I mean, stop and think, do you read Jesus' words and meditate on them every day? Kind of convicting, isn't it? But he did, and here's the thing: God and his experience with Christians complicated his love for Jesus and Jesus' teachings, because India at the time was under British rule in the 1900s, um, and India was—I mean, uh, Britain was known as a Christian nation, and yet was harshly oppressing poor Indians for cheap labor, which, by the way, is an important thing to note. There actually are no Christian nations. There aren't Christian schools, just like there aren't Christian cars, trucks, or even SUVs, (laughs) though their bumpers may proclaim differently. No, there are only Christian people, and Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. That also is in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. So let's read the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that Gandhi meditated on every day. Matthew 5, starting in verse 4, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those whose hunger and thirst for justice, they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is put on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God cares about those the world doesn't care about. Now... After getting his law degree, Gandhi moved back to India, and after two years of trying to start a practice in India, unsuccessfully, he decided to move to South Africa to represent an Indian merchant in a lawsuit. While in South Africa, Gandhi encountered discrimination because of his skin color and heritage. He wasn't allowed uh, to sit with European passengers on the stagecoach. He was told to sit on the floor and beaten when he refused. He was kicked off kicked into the gutter for daring to walk too close to a certain house. In another instance, he was thrown off a train for refusing to leave first class. He sat there in the train station shivering all night, thinking through, should he go back to India or protest what's happening? After all, he was a British lawyer. He stayed 21 years in South Africa as a result. He raised his family there, and he first employed nonviolent resistance there. Because see, in, in, in South Africa at the time, Indians didn't have the right to vote. There was tons of discrimination. Indians had actually been taken to South Africa in the 1700s as slaves. And this evil treatment of fellow humans left its mark right up into Gandhi's time. What was happening in South Africa to Indians, much like what was happening to Africans here in the United States. It was in South Africa that Gandhi developed this idea of satyagraha, nonviolent protest, which came largely from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, found right here in Matthew 5:38 through 46, where Jesus said, "You've heard the law that says punishment must match the injury. This is the Old Testament, an eye for, the, for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. See, Jesus, by His power was." Taking it up a notch. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt's taken from you, give them your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear a mile, carry it too. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children. Of your father in heaven. If he, For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you. What reward is there for that? From Jesus' teachings right here. Along with the doctrine of ahimsa. Or non-violence. Gandhi developed this idea of satyagraha. Or non-violent protest. This idea of. Of fighting against injustice by actually doing good to your enemies, loving them. And in some ways, you know, Gandhi was more of a biblical fundamentalist than 90% of Christians. I mean, he literally took Jesus' words and lived them out. And it changed two nations as a result. So in the 1900s, South Africa was at war with the Boers. The stereotype of Indians in South Africa is that they weren't manly enough for combat. So to push against that, Gandhi enlisted 1,100 Indian volunteers to be stretcher bearers, to go and rescue wounded soldiers in the Boer War, putting themselves on the front lines in the greatest danger to rescue those who were oppressing them. He put Jesus' literal words into action and got a medal of honor from the queen. And through this courageous service, Gandhi rallied Indians to stand against discriminatory uh, Tory practices there in South Africa. And it set in motion things that changed South Africa. In 1915, at age 45, Gandhi moved back to India. At the time, the, the British who were ruling India were forcing Indian laborers to grow indigo and other cash crops and then sell them at a low fixed price that was highly taxed And as a result, the Indian laborers couldn't grow food for their families. When a a bad famine came, they and their children were starving to death, and yet there was no tax relief at all. So as a result, Gandhi organized uh, peasants and farmers and laborers to protest against the excessive land tax and discrimination. Eventually, the tax was postponed until the famine ended, and it saved many lives. In 1919, Gandhi felt double-crossed when he had encouraged Indians to fight for Britain in World War I in exchange for self-rule, which was never given. And so he began to to say, let's protest for self-rule. Well, the police opened fire on unarmed people peacefully protesting in in Delhi. And as a result, Indian people rioted. Violence broke out. Gandhi pleaded for nonviolence. He used Jesus' words, love. Let love fight against our enemies. And yet, the violence continued. So Gandhi went and he fasted and declared that he would not eat even unto death until the violence ended. And at this point, Gandhi was so respected and loved by the Indian people, they stopped the violence out of love for Gandhi. So he began this idea of boycotting British goods and wearing only Indian clothing. And at this point, Gandhi actually traded his lawyer suit and tie, and the, the wealth he could have had as a, as a lawyer, a British lawyer, and instead identified with the poor. He wore only huns, uh, hand-spun Indian garments from that time on, the pictures you often now see of him. In many ways, Gandhi gave up the life he could have had to fight for those who were oppressed. He lived out what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 as if he actually believed it. Matthew 6 says, Jesus says, when you give to someone in need, your father who sees everything will reward you. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Gandhi seemed to believe this. And he really seemed to live it out. The real tension with Gandhi was was not with Jesus. It was between Jesus and who he admired and loved, and Christians who ruled his country but didn't seem to live the words of Jesus. In fact, Gandhi once said this, I, love, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. He said, I believe the teachings of Christ, but you do not seem to. I read the Bible faithfully and see little in Christendom that those who profess faith pretend to see. The Christians seem to be just seeking their own wealth. Their aim is to be rich even at the expense of their neighbors. He saw this. He saw this being lived out. And yet Gandhi used his education and power and influence to serve those who were oppressed and forgotten. You know, friends, it's worth asking, am I following Jesus like that? You know, am I willing to follow Jesus like that if I profess that I follow him? Am I using what God has given me to serve people in need and build God's kingdom first, or is it my kingdom first that I'm building? It's kind of humbling and convicting to me when I look at the life of Gandhi. It makes me want to do more to serve Jesus with all that he's given me. You know, Gandhi's struggle was not with Jesus, but those who claimed to follow Jesus, but used that to oppress others. Gandhi once even said, if Christians in India really followed Jesus, Hinduism would cease to exist in this country. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? He saw the power of the love Jesus lived out when Jesus' hands were nailed and his feet were nailed to the cross. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He went to that extent to love his enemies. That inspired Gandhi. Gandhi to do the same. But Gandhi experienced a lot of hypocrisy in the church there in India. He once went to a church in Calcutta, but he was barred from entering. They said, no, this church is only for high caste Indians and white people. Gandhi was neither. So he struggled with Christianity, but he didn't struggle with Jesus. Gandhi also, though, opposed the injustices he saw in his own Hindu religious traditions. And what that just reveals is that all humanity struggles. We have all sinned and fall short of what God intended. In 1921, Gandhi led a nationwide campaign to ease poverty and expand women's rights, but he also fought against the Hindu caste system that created what were called untouchables. The Dalits were the lowest Cast in Hindu society. In fact, Mother Teresa, who we'll talk about in two weeks, went to live and serve them. The Dalits were considered outcast untouchables. It was the result of Hindu doctrine of karma and samsara. The idea of the cycle of life and birth and reincarnation and that you keep going until you pay off your bad karma, your sins, you have to pay for them. And as a result, the thought was that that those who are oppressed or impoverished or suffering, they must have done something in their previous life, to, to and that's why. They're paying for their bad karma. They're going to have to work it off anyway, so don't mess with them. In fact, don't touch them. Their bad karma may rub off on you, hence untouchables. But Gandhi opposed this injustice as well. He seemed instead to believe what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. That God cares about all people, especially identifying with those who are struggling. And he wants us to as well. So in 1922, when a new law was enacted against nonviolent protest, making it a crime, Gandhi was in prison for six years. He got out after two years and then came right back to lead the charge for self-rule of India. In 1930, the, ta- the salt tax was reducing many Indians to serfdom, while the Indian viceroy made 5,000 times the average Indian salary. So Gandhi led a 250-mile march called the Salt March in protest against the injustices. A horrified American reporter described what happened on that march. At a word of command, scores of policemen rushed upon the advancing marchers and rained blows on their heads. Not one of the marchers even raised an arm to fend off blows. I heard the sickening whack of the clubs on unprotected skulls. Those struck down fell sprawling, unconscious, or writhing with fractured skulls or broken shoulders. 300 or more protesters were beaten, two were killed. But this campaign upset the British hold on India. Britain responded by imprisoning 60,000 Indians. Gandhi was imprisoned many times as a result, but by the 1940s, Gandhi's marches and fast for British to quit India and return self-rule began to build a powerful force in 1942. Gandhi, at the age of 73, urged them, Indians not to cooperate at all with the imperial government, and yet he urged them, neither kill nor injure British people, But be willing to suffer and die if violence is initiated by the British. The success of Gandhi leading uh, out and living out Jesus' words so courageously is what inspired a Christian pastor, Martin Luther King Jr., who said Gandhi was probably the first person in history to lift the love ethic of Jesus above mere interaction with individuals to a powerful and effective social force on a large scale. Next week we'll talk about MLK. But in August 1947, Britain was granted independence. Britain granted independence to India. But it was at a time when uh, the Muslim minority was fighting for independence from the Hindu majority. And as a result, when independence was given, they sanctioned off Pakistan as a separate state broke off from India, Muslim state, and India, the rest of it as we know today, uh, a Hindu state, but fighting broke out. Violence broke out between the religious factions. And instead of celebrating independence that he had fought for for so long, Gandhi went to the places where the fighting was the worst. And again, started a fast unto death until the religious violence was stopped. He truly lived out. What Jesus said when he said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This fight was bloody between Muslims and Hindus. A Hindu came to Gandhi and and said, What shall I do? My son was killed by a Muslim. Gandhi replied, Forgive. And adopt a Muslim child as your own. His parents may have been killed by Hindus. He echoed Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The prayer Jesus taught us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Some Hindus felt like Gandhi was too accommodating to Muslims. So January 30th, 1948, a Hindu nationalist, Nathuram Godse, shot Gandhi three times in the chest, killing him. Racism, hatred, evil, it's everywhere. And it always has been. And it always will be, but we can stand against it. We can stand against it by the power that God gives and by living out what Jesus said. So why are we looking at the life of Gandhi? Well, because Gandhi lived the teachings of Jesus in a way that I think puts a lot of Christ followers to shame, quite honestly. What if we were as intentional about loving people who hurt us? Or blessing those who curse us. Or spending ourselves, using what we've been given to fight for those who are marginalized or oppressed or hurting or suffering. To bring hope to all people all around us. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus brought hope to all nations. But he did it through self-sacrificial love. That's how he did it. And that's what he calls us to do. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What if all of us Live to follow Jesus with such intentionality and trust. Wow. What might God do to change the world right around us? Now, Gandhi was not perfect. He was a man. He was an imperfect man, just like all of us are. He still needed forgiveness. He needed what Jesus did. Jesus died to pay for the sins of all of us. But many Christians, I find, you know, sometimes they get hung up on, was Gandhi saved or not? Was he in or was he... And what was fascinating is that people were saying the same thing in Gandhi's day. And you know what he pointed them to? Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. When the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, it fell with a great crash. In the end... I can't know the heart of another, neither can you, only God can. And God looks at the heart. We know Jesus died to make all people of all nations right with God, if they're willing. And all it takes is a heart turning to him in trust. Jesus said this in John six thirty seven: All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, but raise him up at the last day. You know, sometimes I wonder if God wasn't using Gandhi in that day to rebuke Christians in India. Kind of like Jesus did the Jewish religious people in his day with the Roman centurion. It's fascinating because right after Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount to this group of people, including the sinners of his day, that the religious of his day treated as outcasts and untouchables, but Jesus invited them in, right? He goes to Capernaum, and there in Capernaum, he meets a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion would have been one of those that the Jewish religious leaders ousted because he he, he was raised in pagan idol worship, and yet he puts faith in Jesus, the little he knew about Jesus, and look at what Jesus says about this Roman centurion. In Matthew 8, verse 10. Jesus says, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe Jesus used Gandhi to remind us all that God loves all nations, that Jesus was sent as the hope for all nations, and as a way to challenge us to live out what jesus said to put his words into practice and so i think it's worth asking ourselves do i show compassion and care for those who are oppressed and marginalized you know it's, it's part of what we're trying to do together as a church we're trying to help motivate each other it's why we say come as you are it's why we say no perfect people allowed because you know what there are people who are oppressed and marginalized and addicted, and struggling, and alone, and isolated, and depressed, and they're all around you. Evil has them imprisoned, and they need to be set free, and they're all around you. But do we see them? If you would pray and meditate on Jesus' words and say, Jesus, lead me to be the person who cares and shows the love and the grace of God to them. He'll lead you to them. And then invite them to come and, and be a part of a community where they can learn about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and, and be a part of a group of people who treats them like brothers and sisters in a new family. That's why we're planting campuses all around Austin. You know, so, because there are people in Buta Kyle or Pflugerville or Dripping Springs or other places. They're not going to come here to this Sermon on the Mount They need a Sermon on the Mount right there to learn about the God who's for them, not against them. You know, it's also why we're in partnership with with churches and organizations in some of the poorest parts of the world, in India, in in Burundi, Africa, uh, in Haiti. And you may not realize it, but 10% of everything you give goes to those partnerships and to help start new churches, to help serve people who are marginalized or oppressed or struggling. And then here at year end, every year end, we ask our partners, what do you need above and beyond? And everything we give above and beyond our budget in December, we give to meet those needs first. That's what we're doing. That's what John just told you about in this year-end giving initiative. Do we use what God has given us to serve others and build his kingdom? Do we seek to be peacemakers? Do we demonstrate love for our enemies? Are we respectful of those we don't agree with even this year? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Are we willing to be wronged and even meet those wrongs, those injustices with kindness? Do we do, do we love and do good to those who really don't deserve it? Friends, that is the way of Jesus. Self-sacrificial love, even for our enemies. And it's powerful. Just think, that teaching lived out changed a couple of nations. But you know what's even more amazing? What we celebrate at Christmas is that God came to be among us, not just to teach us how to bring heaven to earth, not just to bring freedom temporarily on this earth from political oppression, but to bring spiritual freedom and eternal life forever to set people free forever. And that's the hope that Jesus wants to bring to all the nations. Will we be the kinds of people that live that out among our neighbors? I pray that we will. Well, why don't you stand with me and and we'll close in prayer. And before we do, uh, let me turn it over to our our campuses. And here at North... um, We're going to celebrate communion today over in the garage, and I want to invite you to to go over there uh, to make this a sacred moment and celebrate communion. Communion is the reminder Jesus gave us to to remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed. Why? Because none of us live this out perfectly. None of us do. We all go our own way. But he paid to forgive us and set us right with God. And so I want to encourage you to go over there and as you eat the bread, as you drink the cup, to remember what God did for us. That what we celebrate in Christmas was not just Jesus coming, not just his birth, but his death and his resurrection. That we might be people who are set free for eternity to live for him today. Let's let that be our prayer. God, thank you for the reminder you give us. Sometimes, God, it's convicting. I just admit, I was convicted. Lord, I want to be one who takes you at your word fully. And God, you have um, you've given us so much. You've blessed us with so much here in this country, in this nation. And yet the reality is there's, you know, evil is still at work all around us. People are oppressed. People are hurting all around us. There's still discrimination, Uh, they're still fighting, they're still um, returning evil and hate for hate. God, we want to be people that brings uh, something different. Lord, help us truly follow you into this world that we might bless our neighbors, our coworkers, that we might be a place where people can come just like they heard the Sermon on the Mount, no matter where they are with you, that they can come and discover This God who loves them, forgives them, has paid for that, and wants to walk with them and inspire them to love others like you loved us. Help us be those kinds of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.